Christmas. Ish. Hey, listen, my name's Kirk. I'm uh, the teaching pastor here at HNW. I want to welcome you here today, especially if you're our guest. One of the things that we've learned in church over the years is that uh, people like to visit church during the holidays. So if you are our guest, welcome to HNW. Uh, before we get started today, I want to give you the passage so that you can make your way there. Luke chapter 2 is where we'll find ourselves, a familiar passage for many of us. But while you are making your way to Luke chapter 2, uh, in the game of baseball, uh, there is a, a term or phrase when they say, throw it down the middle, right? What that means is someone's going to line it up and knock it out of the park. So it also means it's a, just an easy pitch to hit. So today I am literally going to throw this message down the middle, all right? I want everybody listening closely. This is that fastball down the middle. If you miss it, it's on you, okay? You were scrolling or doing whatever it is that you do. Here's the message. We're going to talk for just a second about Christmas Eve and the things that follow so that you are in the know. Okay, everybody ready? It's going to come really fast. It's a lot of information. It's going to be great, though. December 23rd, also known as Christmas Adam, also known as Christmas Eve Eve. We as a church will host two services at 5 and 7 p.m. If you have been watching the weather, it is supposed to be extremely cold on Christmas Eve Eve and Christmas Eve, which may mean that we get snow, but let's not jinx it, okay? So here's the deal. We live in Houston. Don't get your hopes up, all right? But on that day, we will have two services at 5 and 7 p.m. Those services, because it will be so cold, will be moving indoors. But before you start to feel sad, sadness in your heart, know this. If you are a child, we're bringing all the fun stuff that was outside, inside, including the live nativity. So just know on Christmas Eve Eve, it's all coming in. It's going to be great. We're going to have a great time nonetheless. And we want you to make your way to that service. Again, 5 and 7 p.m. The next day, known as Christmas Eve, one we're a little bit more familiar with, the 24th, we as a church will gather at 5 and 7 p.m. for two more services here in this room. It's going to be a great night. And here's an important fact for all of you to know, one that everybody missed last year, at least some people did. The services on the 23rd and the 24th are the same. They are not different. Some of you came on the 23rd and expected one set of services. You showed up on the 24th expecting like a, a quick little candlelight jaunt and it ended up being a whole service and you were greatly disappointed and you didn't get to eat on time. But here's the deal. They're all the same. They're all the same. 5-7, 23rd, 24th, you choose. Whatever is most convenient for your family and fits your schedule best, they're all gonna be the same. It's just on the 23rd, uh, your kids can get some s'mores and pet some cute animals, all right? Everybody following so far? That's Christmas Eve. Oh, I'm not done, there's more. Hang tight before you start clapping. This is like the announcement that never ends. Now on the 25th, of December, Christmas Day, Jesus' birthday, we as a church are going to have church, but it will be online, okay? Everybody make sure that you hear this clearly because when you show up at this building, you'll be greatly depressed on Christmas morning, putting on your clothes after having gotten out of those comfortable PJs and coming to church. On that day, you will be able to, a la a Christmas story on TBS, I believe, You'll be able to watch the service over and over and over and over and over again on repeat because we know that's all what we're going to do. 
all day long on YouTube and on Facebook. Everybody got that? Don't go to the normal site, the, the, the church site that we normally host services on because the service won't be there. It's going to be on YouTube and Facebook. Where's it gonna be? YouTube and Facebook. All right, we hope that you'll worship with us that day as many times as you want, okay? Next, one more. On January 1st, the next Sunday, we will all be here again but we will all be in this room together, kids included. It's gonna get rowdy. It's gonna be fun. I've preached one of these services before. We're having one family service on uh, January 1st, 2023 in this room, okay? It's going to be the first time at H&W that our student pastor, Tyler Arnold, will grace this stage. So, that's right, clap it up for Tyler. So with that said, that is the holidays. That is the Christmas season for us as a church. It's coming, and if you don't know, then you weren't listening. All right, everybody with me? Very good. There it is. All right, now, we should pray. We should pray. Then we're going to get into our passage. Father, I thank you for our passage today. I thank you for the series we've been in all semester. It is an absolute pleasure deepest privilege kind of pleasure to get to speak um, from your word, but especially to get to preach these sermons about our Savior, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for your goodness and your love. I thank you for the way that you've taught us, the backwards way of Jesus all through this semester. That's really the forwards way. It's just that we get it backwards sometimes. And today, as we uh, edge our way towards the end of this semester, as we fix our eyes on the manger and on in your incarnation, as we talk about the shepherds, Lord, would you challenge us? Would you give us uh, fresh eyes for a passage that might be one we've read a lot of times? And if we've never read it, I pray you just open our eyes to your goodness and love and your glory in this passage today. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Y'all haven't gathered yet. I'm feeling it this morning. So let's get into this thing. Luke chapter two, starting in verse eight. Let's read it together. It says this. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over the flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the, by the way, just a reminder, angels aren't cute little cherubs floating around like when they show up, people are scared, all right? So... But the angel said to them, kindly, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in a cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angel had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary was treasuring up these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. The word of our Lord. Oftentimes, it's like 
oftentimes when we look at this passage, at least in my life, when people have preached about it, they talk about the shepherds as a despised and rejected class of people. And this morning, I want to give you a little bit of good news. Uh, I was reading this week, and over and over again in uh, commentaries as I read, one of the things that came up is that this group of people were only viewed that way and only started to be viewed that way much later on in the story. Like, they said that uh, scholars only began to refer to them as despised and rejected in like the 6th century. And if you really look a little bit closer at the story of the Bible, yes, they weren't high class, they weren't Herod, but at the end of the day, this group of people were just kind of ordinary, everyday anybodies. They weren't nobodies. They weren't famous. They weren't celebrities. They weren't super powerful. But here's the thing. In this story, we are reminded over and over again that God has this tendency to come to ordinary people. And that's really good news for you and for me. That the shepherds were staying out in the fields. What could be a more mundane kind of place to stay? They were keeping watch at night over their flock. I mean, this group of men who were out there doing the work that they do were the night shift workers. They were the everyday blue-collar people who made up a piece of the economy that existed in that particular day. And if you look back at the Old Testament, I mean, this is a pretty normal thing. You have Abraham, who is a shepherd. You have Moses, who's a shepherd. You have King David, who was a shepherd. Right? Eventually, Jesus would say that he is the good shepherd, and so these, these people who are out in the field, they're in pretty good company. But notice that they are about as normal a people as you could imagine. Verse 9 says, Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Right? The angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. So in our story as we see here, the miraculous and the mundane meet. The sacred and the ordinary come together. And it uh, goes a long line in the line of a long tradition of this kind of occurrence. See, this moment with a shepherd or shepherds experiencing the glory of God through these angels is a lot like another passage that we find back in the book of Exodus. It's almost like a retelling of that passage where Moses, who was a shepherd, he was out in the fields watching his flocks, looks up and there's a burning bush and God communicates to him through that bush and he experiences the glory of God. And in that moment where the sacred and the ordinary or where the miraculous and the mundane come together and meet, we find this truly profound moment in the life of Moses and also in the lives of these shepherds. But don't miss the fact. Don't miss this. And I know we tell our kids this in Sunday school, right? The miraculous met the mundane. God didn't show up to the guy in the palace, but he also didn't show up to the lowest of the low. He just showed up. The angel just showed up to an everyday, normal group of people. And that's significant. Looking back at verse 10, it says, But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. You know how, like, sometimes there's a message that's affirmed by who the message goes to? You know what I mean? By its recipient? I feel like this is happening in our passage. When 
God says that this message is for all people. He's giving it to an anybody's, everybody's, ordinary, normal group of people. And so when God says that this message is for all people, it's not just lip service. He's actually doing it whenever he gives this message to this group of people. And that ought to encourage us today. It says, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Verse 11, today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will, be, you will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth, lying in a manger. When I was in college, I had a professor who um, was trying to teach us a lesson. And I remember he pulled us aside and he said, you guys pull up John 3.16 for me. So we all pulled up John 3.16, very, very famous verse. This is, I think, a missiology class. And he said, I want you guys to read that for me. So, you know, somebody read, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, per- or whoever believes in him will not perish but uh, enjoy everlasting life. Okay, so we read it. And then he said, now, have any of you ever had that passage handed over to you and you like take the world out and put in your name? We all were like, yeah, we all grew up in youth groups. We've all done that. For God so loved Kirk that, you know, and so on and so forth. And in that particular moment, he said, but it doesn't say Kirk. It says the world, or it doesn't say your name. It says the world. And in that moment, what he was trying to express to us is this all people thing. That the gospel, the good news has come for all people. But here's the deal. In the process of giving us that reality, we ought to have been reminded that it could go the other way as well. And our passage shows us that today. And I feel like this is such a profound truth if we take it in and ponder it and understand it deeply. That the gospel is not just for all people. It's not just for the world. It's for you. For you. Yes, it's this corporate thing. It's this, this global reality that God has come for all human beings, right? And that's very much shown by who God chooses to bring the message to. But also notice that twice in this passage, the words for you are mentioned. And maybe I would remind you today that the good news of Jesus hasn't just come for the world. It hasn't just come for people in general, but it's come for you. I know that Steve and I say this a lot, but I just want to reiterate it this morning because it's so significant that each and every one of us gets this. Some of us have told ourselves and believed a story internally that the gospel can be for anyone but us, that the good news of Jesus can be for everyone else, but there's no way that it can be for me because I've done too much, I've been through too much, I'm not the kind of person God would like, and so on and so forth. And either you've told yourself that or the world has told you that. And I need you to hear this morning again. And listen, Steve and I are gonna keep saying this, so if you don't enjoy it or if you feel like it's redundant, then like, sorry. Find somebody else to listen to because that's what we're gonna talk about here. If you are here today and you find yourself in a place where you think, I'm outside the love of God, there's no way that God would want me to be a part of his family. There's no way that he'd come to me the way that he came to the, or the way the angel came to these shepherds, you need to hear today that God came for you. And yes, God so loves the world, but God loves you. On this Advent day where we talk about love, let us be reminded that God's love is so intensely personal. 
And it is inescapable when you start to look at the pages of Scripture. The way that God so, the way that Jesus specifically takes such care to deal with individuals who think that they are the outcasts and the ones that nobody would care about and the ones that other people would overlook comes to them and reminds them, I've come for you. So be reminded of that today. Verse 13 says, suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. So this first section for me this week as I studied was just this deep, powerful reminder that God chooses to allow his glory to intersect with uh, everyday ordinary people and everyday ordinary places. And I'll tell you, this is a story from my own life. I, I grew up in a little town in the Panhandle. A lot of y'all know that. Not the Panhandle of Florida or the Panhandle of Oklahoma. There is a part of Texas that is north of Dallas, and that's where I grew up. And can we throw that picture up there real quick? Oh, can we throw it? Yes, thank you so much. So this is my hometown. And here's the deal. Sometimes when people talk about their hometown, they sort of, I don't know, they come at it and they romanticize it. I, I would not, I mean, look at it. That's my hometown. Um, I would point this out that my wife, when talking about my hometown, often says it's a one-stoplight town. But as you can see by looking at this picture, we were a two-stoplight town. Thank you very much. And... This is my hometown. It's a place called Perryton. Perryton was built around agriculture and ranching. Those were kind of the two big things. It was mainly wheat um, and cattle. Those were the two big commodities and the two big industries. And then everything else was sort of built around those things. And so you wouldn't think of Perryton, Texas as a hub for great spiritual awakening in the world. That wouldn't be a place. But a few weeks ago, or I guess about a month ago, we went to a to a conference together as a staff. And on the way back, Steve um, asked us or over dinner, he said, have any of you ever experienced revival before? Like true awakening revival. And I just kind of quietly sat there and kind of thought other people in the circle would speak up. And I was like, I have. Everybody kind of looked at me like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I have. I don't talk about it all the time, but, but I have. And they're like, well, tell us about that story. And I was like, well, you know, like, when I was in eighth grade, a group of parents that were attached to our youth ministry started praying for students. And they prayed a lot. And like they would even come together at lunch. Like during their lunch break, they would come together and pray for students in our town. Perryton, as you can see, it's easy to get from place to place because there's two stoplights, right? <laughs> so they'd come together, they'd pray for students. They prayed and prayed and prayed. And we eventually had to sopple now um, in the spring of my eighth grade year. And I got to see like 22 of my peers come to know the Lord. And we experienced the movement of the Holy Spirit in a way that I've never experienced it since. It was so powerful and palpable, like it literally changed countless numbers of lives. There was stuff going on in our friend group and even outside of our friend group that was sort of unexplainable. And it wasn't like a, we went to church camp and then it was over. Like we were getting together. <laughs> this is, again, my hometown. We were getting together at the pizza place slash uh, gas station down the street, 
after school and reading the Bible for like months. I mean, all of us had our Bibles at school, reading our Bibles, and we were seeing our friends get saved, and things were happening that were unexplainable and just so powerful. It moved out of our youth group and into the adults in our church, moved out of our church into the lives of people in our community. And for this season of my life, I got to see God work in the most powerful way, a way I've never seen him work before. And looking back on that moment in my life, I realized that happened in Perryton. Right? And I know that God moves in a powerful way in all sorts of different kinds of places. But this week as I prepared, it's like I grew up in the fields. Right? I grew up in this place. There was literally a farm across the street from my house. No joke. My dad was a school administrator, but we had a farm across the street from our house. Right, We were in the middle of nowhere. Some people go through Dalhart on the way to the, the mountains. Nobody goes through Perryton for anything. <laughs> right, It's on the other side of the panhandle. We drove to Kansas to go to the movies. Not a joke. <laughs> and yet somehow God saw it fitting to reach into that place and move and show his glory in a way that transformed numerous lives, right? And I just look back on it now and I I can say with my whole heart, I, I can relate with the shepherds to some degree. God loves to come to ordinary people in ordinary places and move in glorious ways. And I think he wants the same for us. All right, let's keep reading together in verse 15. It says, when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. This important verse, verse 17. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. A lot of times we talk about, and I've heard this sermon over and over again, but we talk about how the good news of great joy came to the shepherds. It was for them. But it wasn't just for them to experience themselves Similar to uh, Acts chapter one, verse eight, where it says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You guys know that verse? They were witnesses to the glory of God, both through the angels and then seeing the son of God in Jesus where the angels told him he'd be. And then look what they do in verse 17 immediately. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Some people say the shepherds were the first evangelists in the story of Christ. And all they did was express to the people around them what they had seen and experienced firsthand. But listen, the message wasn't just for them in the sense of uh, something that they, uh, something that happened to them. It was for them in the sense that it was a gift that God was giving them to share. You guys see that? That word for them really stirred in my heart a lot this week. I just kind of stewed on it and meditated uh, on it all week long. That yes, the gospel is for us, even the ordinary people, right? But not just for us 
to experience, but for us to tell. Each and every one of us across the board. Let me go back to the illustration I used a moment ago. Can we throw up that next picture? Awesome. I'll come back to this in just a second. Some of you have heard a song by Chris Young. Uh, if you're a country fan, it's called Famous Friends. And uh, the chorus says, I've got some famous friends you've probably never heard of. You guys know this song? I love this song, because I do. So you throw that picture back up, please. I've got some famous friends you've probably never heard of. So growing up in the middle of nowhere, Perryton, and experiencing God in this powerful way, there were people in my life and the lives of my friends who were instrumental in seeing us experience the goodness of God. This lady right here is one of them. Her name's Lisa Kent. Her name was Lisa Drum when I was uh, a kid. She was one of our youth workers, and um, she was the mom of one of my very, very best friends. She lost her husband, who was a, uh, an officer, um, in a shootout whenever my buddy Derek was young. And uh, he was killed in the line of duty, but this is her new husband, who's a great godly man. But I point her out to, her, to you because there are not a lot of people who know Lisa Kemp, but I do, right? She made a difference in my life. She's an ordinary lady. When I was a kid, she uh, was secretary at our high school or one of the secretaries at our high school. But she had an unbelievable impact on my life and the lives of countless numbers of students. Go to the next picture. Throw that up there. There it is. Awesome. There's some jolly people for you. You can tell this is in the 90s. Some of you teenagers in the rooms are like, cool shirt, bro, right? <laughs> I know how you work. My mom and dad are over on the left, and then that's our youth minister and his wife. But then you have these people uh, in the center and the right. In the middle, that guy's name is Bill Robertson, his wife, Kim. Uh, he was my Sunday school teacher growing up. He had a profound impact on my life as well. Uh, he owned a, a line service in Perryton. Uh, and man, that was an important service whenever it snowed because it actually does do that up in Perryton. You have uh, the Sturdivans next to them. And then the guy on the far right, his name's Alan Herbert. He was my cross-country coach. And he taught me about Jesus while we ran um, many, 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 many miles in cross-country. This is a picture of ordinary people like you. They're just ordinary people. The only ones who were in the ministry are the two people on the left, the young ones who look like they don't belong in the picture. But man, they do. And I look at that picture and I think those are powerhouses. Those are people who are a part of the movement of God in my hometown. They're just moms and dads, line worker company owners, school secretaries, just people. They're just people. There's a nasty thing that happened in the church in the history of the church that took ministry out of the hands of people and put it in the hands of the ministers, the elites or um, those who are in charge. I think it's one of the great tragedies of our story as Christians and one that we ought to take back with two fists that we would give the work of the ministry away to a select few number of people instead of distributing it to all of the ordinary people that God has given the gospel to. 
And listen, some of you have woken up to this. I'm fully aware of that. Some of you in this room wake up on a Sunday and your first thought is, I'm gonna do the work. But then on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you're doing the work as well wherever you go. You've woken up to the reality that God's called you to be a minister wherever you are. Right, and that's a beautiful thing, but some of you are still sitting on the sideline looking at the ministers of the church and asking them to do the ministry in the places where God has put you, right? To reach the people that God has put in your life, not their life, not in my life, right? And that's, I'll tell you, that is an old model of church ministry, and it is not one that mimics the New Testament, In the New Testament, when God came, he came to the shepherds who were ordinary people and he gave them the work of the ministry. And we believe that God has given not just me, not just Steve or Dan or a number of people around here who have titles that work for the church, the work of the ministry, but God has given each and every human being in this room the work of the ministry every day, not just Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday as well. Capiche? And I just think like, what if Charles had been alone to do the work and those adults hadn't been with him doing that work in our community, right? Just wouldn't have been the same. They wouldn't have accomplished nearly as much. You know, I think we have this bad habit in Christendom, like the capital C, particularly evangelicalism in America, that like when a celebrity or an influencer pokes their head up above water and is like, I'm a Christian, we immediately like freak out and go bananas crazy over the fact that that person's a Christian, so excited, and we throw like all our excitement and all of like everything that we've got into their their wagon. Like let's hitch the wagon to them. We're finally gonna reach everyone for Christ. They have so much influence. And then they fail or they go through something that's difficult in their life and we're reminded that they're a normal person with normal problems and that their faith may not have been that deep right off the bat. They might have been a baby Christian who had just come to know Christ and we were putting too much hope and attaching too much glory to another human being. And man, I'll tell you, one of the things that stuck out to me this week, the thing that is deeply resonating with me right now is this. We prop up celebrities while God's busy calling shepherds. Right? We prop up these people and make it out to be like, they are the hope. If they will live out their faith, the whole world will come to know Jesus. And God's like, no, the world will come to know Jesus if these normal, ordinary people just wake up and do their job. That's it. That's how it works. And so I will tell you the big takeaway today, and I don't apologize for it. I want you to hear it. Some of you are just sitting on the sideline. You're not living out your faith to the full potential. And I need you to know, like the shepherds, that the gospel is not just for you to experience, but for you to share, every one of us. Here at H&W, we talk a lot about domains. And like, if you're new, you're like, what in the world does that word have to do with anything that you've talked about this morning? I'll tell you. We believe that every day you step into a domain. Right, we use that word because the word kingdom which is used all through the New Testament, uh, includes that word, okay? It's the domain or dome where Jesus is king. So you have a domain. You have a place where you have influence every day. And our hope at H&W 
is that every day you would step into your domain asking this question, one easy question, how can I make this place more like heaven and less like hell? Okay, how can I help these people experience the goodness of Jesus today? And we believe that it's all of our responsibility, every single one of us. When I became a dad, I'll tell you, one of the hardest things for me was stepping into the fact that those children were now my responsibility. Right? Some of you remember this moment. Some of you don't, that's okay. Some of you were like, I didn't struggle with that, and that's, you're better than me, so that's good. <laughs> but it was difficult stepping into that responsibility and recognizing, yes, this child is the Lord's, and yes, this child will uh, be taken care of by the Lord. Like, you can, you know, all that Christian subculture stuff that we have to say every time we say anything, I get that, but... At the end of the day, God had put these children under my care. They were my responsibility. And, you know, I'm a ways down the line now, and I, I get it more, but to stepping into that responsibility was a little bit difficult at first. Some of us haven't accepted the responsibility for being kingdom ambassadors. God has given us this message for you, and you've never taken responsibility for the fact that it's yours to give to somebody else. And this Christmas, I just want to encourage you to step under that responsibility and remember that the gospel, the good news, isn't just for someone else, and it's not just for you to experience, but it's for you to share. So would you step into that responsibility? Would you step into that honor that God's put on us? And remember that God's been putting that honor on ordinary people since the jump. Remember that he called disciples who were ordinary people to do that work, and they turn the world upside down, right? In ordinary places, sharing an extraordinary gospel with ordinary people. So may it be true for us as well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for my friends here today, and I thank you first and foremost for those men and women in this room who I know have stepped into the responsibility that you've given them to be a light and the spheres of influence, the domains that they walk into every day. Thank you for the men and women who go to work and are working feverishly in, uh, through your power, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to help their workplace be a place that's more like heaven and less like hell, working to help their coworkers meet you. Thank you for those students in the room who've taken on that mantle as well. Thank you for the kids in the room who've taken on that mantles and, and many, many others. But Lord, there are others in the room today who just haven't stepped into that responsibility yet. That's for them. And really, Lord, it's, it's an honor. It's a privilege. God, today, I just wanna pray that you'd help them. Would you help them to step into that responsibility? Would you help them to have the confidence to know that if you can empower a group of shepherds and a group of fishermen and some tax collectors, you can empower them wherever they go to share the good news. Lord, for others in the room today who just somehow along the way have picked up the belief that this gospel is not for them, I pray that you would bust down those walls today and show them that the good news of Jesus coming living a perfect life, dying on a cross for our sin, making us right with God. That good news is for them as well. 
God, thank you for loving us. Thank you on this day where we focus on love, for the fact that your love is for the whole world, but it's for each one of us individually as well. In your name we pray, amen. So glad that you joined us online today at Houston Northwest Church, where our vision is to make Houston more like heaven by helping Houstonians become more like Jesus. If you have questions about following Jesus or would like to talk to someone about next steps in your spiritual journey, text Jesus to 281-946-6500. Connect with us throughout the week by following us on social and enjoy a great day.